Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest is Pete Shanky. Pete, the president of Rotowire, has been for, what, 20-odd years now. Rotowire, one of the best places uh, for fantasy sports analysis anywhere, by the way. I've been using them long before I knew Pete and his colleagues at Rotowire. And uh, he is also um, high up in the FSTA, the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, and was a lobbyist uh, for DFS, for Daily Fantasy Sports for the last couple of years working on that. And it's been interesting because just recently we had a uh, Supreme Court ruling that basically said states get to do what they want when it comes to betting on sports, legalized sports gambling. So this cross-section of DFS and legalized sports gambling right up Pete's alley. As soon as it happened, he said, hey, we should talk on the podcast. I said, yes, yes, let us do that. So a really, really good conversation that he and I had about all that and about just kind of innovations in fantasy sports, what comes next. Uh, as I think you guys know, if you listen to this and uh, follow all my nonsense, I am in something called the League of Leagues, which is baseball, basketball, football, all in one league. And it's cool and innovative and weird. And so we talked all about what, kind of what the next frontier is in fantasy sports and lots of stuff about legalized sports gambling. Lots of implications here and probably do. The uh, corollary that I made was kind of like weed legalization was, okay, this is probably a victimless kind of situation and if people want to make sports more interesting then go for it um but you know there's always the stigma she was joe jackson and pete rose and all that so we cover the gamut here and all the implications and uh a good chat with uh, mr shanky who i've known for a long time and i'm glad that he could be on the pod also glad to be on the pod is seeking friends the longtime sponsor of the joe and carrie podcast buying tickets can be complicated and confusing there's a better way to buy tickets to sports, to concerts, to everything. It's SeatGeek. Smartest, easy, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. I have used SeatGeek for baseball games. I have used SeatGeek for hockey games. I have used SeatGeek for concerts. And they have never failed me. It's a color-coded map. Makes it super easy to use, intuitive. Hey, maybe the best place to sit in this one baseball game is behind home plate or on the upper deck or down the third baseline. Very, very easy if you use SeatGeek to figure all that good stuff out. Also very easy to use is the SeatGeek promo codes. Get this. You download the SeatGeek app and you enter the promo code Jonah today. You'll get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase just that easy. And also, hey, maybe you already have SeatGeek, but you want to go to a baseball game. Well, SeatGeek has a special offer for all MLB purchasers, not just first-timers. Use the promo code Kerry. That's K-E-R-I, but you should know that. For $10 off. MLB tickets. That's promo code carry for 10 bucks off MLB tickets, or just go ahead and use the promo code Jonah for $20 off of any first time purchase. Thank you so much to SeatGeek, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. Some quick programming notes. CBS Sports is where you will find my writing, uh, and also lots of stuff on CBS Sports HQ. Go to cbssports.com and there's a big link for HQ at the bottom of the page. And that is our 24 hour streaming service. So you will hear me and see me talk about baseball, uh, multiple times a day. So check all of that out. Also sportsnet.ca. Uh, I'm actually talking to you from Toronto, doing some TV for Sportsnet this week, so you can check that out. Uh, what's today? Wednesday? So this will come out. You could see that. And then if you happen to be in Canada, then tune in to Blue Jays Central, 6.30 p.m. this evening, Wednesday evening. And uh, you could watch me and Joe Siddle and J.B. Campbell and Kevin Barker, Kibitz about baseball, do all that. And then Sportsnet.ca, I also write about the Jays every week and uh, sometimes baseball as a whole as well. So do that. Also, something that you should do is that you should get on Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks, another sponsor this week of the Jonah Carey Podcast. Father's Day right around the corner. 
you're thinking of a great gift idea, how about Omaha Steaks? They're terrific. All kinds of delicious stuff. Steaks, burgers, lots of great stuff. They're delicious. Ship right to your door. Cook them up. Put them on the grill. It's garlic season. Get on that. And how about this? You go to omahasteaks.com and type in the promo code Jonah in the search bar. And the discounted package will appear. Just click on that and you're good to go. And how about this? I'm going to go through some of the items that you can get with your first Omaha Steaks package. Two tender filet mignons. Two beefy top sirloins, four chicken fried steaks, two boneless pork chops, four all beef Omaha steak burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus four more grill ready Omaha steaks burgers free with purchase. That is all in one package. You just go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code Jonah in the search bar to get the discount. That's omahasteaks.com. Thank you to Omaha Steaks for sponsoring the podcast. And here is the latest edition of the Jonah Carey Podcast. It is with Peter Shanky. Enjoy. Alright, so we're going to bring in an old friend and somebody who's in the news, dare I say. Uh, the news comes out that uh, sports betting is, uh, well, we think going to be legal in many states. Obviously, there are federal uh, implications to consider and all that. But somebody I've known for a long time, he's the president of Rotowire, chairman of the fantasy uh, FTSA. <laughs> you'll, you'll, uh, you'll spell it out for me. And also somebody who was heavily involved in lobbying on behalf of the daily uh, fantasy sports community. It's Pete Shanky. Pete, how are you? Doing great. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, you had reached out to me actually and said, we should talk about this thing. And I'm like, yeah, we totally should because it's really interesting and topical. And I think that like even the most casual sports fans that I know, somebody's bet on something. You guaranteed March Madness, Super Bowl, something, you know, it's definitely come up whether or not you're a, you know, serious gambler, whether or not you play DFS, what have you. So I, I want to get into the whole, uh, DFS fight and everything like that, but let's, let's go, let's kind of go backwards here. Let's start with the most recent news first and then we'll back up and talk about the broader implications. So the news comes out and it was, uh, Governor Chris Christie from New Jersey, former governor, who basically started this. States wanted in, basically. There was a law in 1992 that said, okay, Nevada can have what they want, but nobody else can. And, uh, Christie said Jersey wants it. Other states were interested too. There was a case brought before the Supreme Court. And by six to three uh, margin, it was decided that, you know what, states can get in on the pie as well. So uh, tell me about kind of how, how this went down and what it means for, forget about the fantasy sports industry for a second, what it means for me and you and people who are, want to bet on sports. Yeah, so I mean, it was a ruling that was kind of surprising because New Jersey kept over a you know ten nine year period, kept trying to appeal it, and, and no one thought they had any chance. And the Supreme Court kind of picked it up um, when nobody thought they would. 
Um, and it really became kind of a state's rights issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a lot more in the detail of the, of the legal ease, but essentially, you know, the, the, the Congress can't tell one state that they can do, uh, something and not all the other states that they can't, um, at least by the methods that they, you know, that they did it in this law. And it makes sense. I mean, it's like Nevada can have sports betting and everyone else can't. It'd be like if you said Wisconsin can have biotech and everyone else, you know, yeah. couldn't or something like that, right? So it just, you know, it, it feels wrong. But it, they overturned it. So it, there's going to be sports betting in the U.S. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to have sports betting tomorrow. All it means is that the law that stops states from passing and enabling sports betting like Nevada um, is gone and now states can do it. Um, and there's really just been, it's kind of like the culmination of a real shift in, in a U.S. society as far as sports betting, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, when the law was passed in 1992, most people didn't like sports betting. Um, I, you know, I have some numbers here that, I, that are, are pertinent, which uh, 1974, 69% of the people in the U.S. opposed uh, sports betting wow. fell to 56, 56% in 1993. So right after they passed the law, it was it's still uh, – now it's, you know, almost completely flipped. Uh, let's see, 2017 – um, 55% uh, in favor of legalization of sports mm. betting with only 33% opposed. So it just, the shift has really just kind of happened over, over time. Um, and that's not why the Supreme Court did it, but it certainly was kind of a why New Jersey pushed it and tried to make it happen. You know, I think they could see that the trends and meanwhile, the whole sports community, everyone around has kind of changed. You know, the leagues have gone from being, you know, really opposed to it to, okay, this is another way we can, you know, make money or our sports will benefit. Uh, but what it means for you as a, you know, as a consumer in the U.S., uh, now it's up to every state. Um, some states, you know, saw this coming and passed legislation ahead of time. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, you know, ready, ready to go. So Delaware is actually, uh, next week, gonna, you know, gonna have sports gambling. Wow. New Jersey, uh, thereafter, they gotta have figured out some rules and regulations. Uh, Pennsylvania is ready to go. Um, they're writing the rules right now. Mississippi. Um, so, you know, some states are just gonna be right out of the gate. And I think, uh, next year, uh, you'll see another 10 to 15 states probably get pretty far, if not pass it. Um, you know, every state was talking about it this year, this year. There's probably, you know, 20 to 30 states where either there was a bill they got introduced or a study or, or legislators were talking about it. So, um, the states, you know, see that it's popular. They, they look at it as a revenue source. Um, and so it's kind of off and running. It's fascinating stuff. And I'm really interested in the perspective of the leagues because you know, from the view from 30,000 feet, you can sort of sit here and say, okay, you know, the NBA in particular says, cool, give us 1% of the cut, uh, which makes a lot of sense. You know, they, not even net. I believe they want of the gross of all wagers. They want 1%, which is a substantial amount, but it makes sense. You know, they're basically saying, Hey, you're betting on our product. We obviously should share in it. I totally get that. That's a way for them to make money. It's kind of a no dust situation. And yet sports leagues had been so adamantly against it. I assume because of propriety's sake, because of, the Black Sox scandal and, and Pete Rose and what have you. I mean, things associated more with baseball, granted, but even like the CCNY scandal of college basketball in the 50s, I believe, just stuff like that. So what was the tipping point that led, led leagues to say, all right, you know, gambling, oh, no, won't somebody think of the children? This is dangerous. This is terrible to cool. We're on board. Give us lots of money. When, when did this really start to turn and why did it start to turn? Uh, I mean, you know, I think the, just the general societal change, you know, has also impacted the leagues, mm. right? Have you seen examples in like Europe, you know, like sports betting got legalized and, you know, throughout Europe and especially in Ireland and the UK and, and the results there 
were not dramatic. You know, they, the leagues, you know, the EPL, there's not like major crises of, of integrity. Uh, you know, they don't have tremendously high, uh, rates with problem gambling. It just became kind of a normal industry. And a lot of these, you know, pro owners are over there all the time. The, you know, the, the leagues have games over there. Uh, some of these owners also own soccer teams. Um, it just became, you know, per, so pervasive everywhere else that the U.S. model just looked really out of, out of whack. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. They're going to benefit, the leagues are going to benefit because people who gamble more, you know, watch more games and they're more interested into stuff. And so, and you're going to get a lot of, uh, benefits that way from people who are more interested in sports. Um, the integrity fees and them getting the money directly from that, either through, and, you know, a, a integrity fee, or uh, data licensing, like you have to use our official data. That's another thing that they're trying to do. Hmm. Um, I don't know if they're going to necessarily get those. I think if like five years ago before PASPA was overturned, if they had said, hey, this is something that's really good for us, we've changed our mind. But the only way we're doing it is we're going to get this amount of money for something. I think everybody, you know, all the sports book operators and a lot of the local governments would have been like, hey, sure. Um, but that cat, you know, that, that seems to have passed. Yeah. And clearly in Nevada, Nevada has been around for offering single sports wagering for, you know, all these years and there's never been an integrity fee. So, um, you know, it's hard to really argue that, that it's an absolutely necessary, but you know, the leagues are powerful lobbying entities and there's examples of integrity fees in other countries, um, Australia, countries in Europe. Um, so there's there's a model that's out there. They are going to have to bear some costs. Um, you know, if there's more sports gambling to do investigations and monitoring that, you know, coaches and umpires and players aren't, you know, gambling, but, um, is it going to be the expensive as 1% of all of the, of the gambling in the U S I, I mean, most people don't think it's anywhere even in that universe. Um, so we'll have to see how, how it, how, how it comes down, but, uh, I, you know, the leagues will benefit. They just, they just may not get the, the direct money benefit. You know, they'll get all the, all the secondary benefits, which could be humongous, right? Cause I mean, it could, it certainly could maybe, you know, the theory is thinking that for the sports leagues, you know, the, the sports bubble of the, of the cable, you know, TV system is kind of breaking on them and the, and their, you know, the rights fees might suffer. Um, and the, and the viewership may go down. So maybe this replaces that and, and, and becomes the, the thing that keeps them going in terms of growth. Well, and I think the secondary benefit is a, is a great point here. I, I'm <laughs> I'm going to try to say this without personal bias, and I'm going to fail. I don't love football as a sport. Just as a sport, I don't think it's the most exciting sport. I, I don't know how to say that objectively because obviously it's an opinion, but I just don't feel that way. I think you can make a case for basketball. You know, obviously hockey is very fast-paced, whatever you want to say. But football is a gambling juggernaut, you know, between the point spreads, between fantasy, between all that. And I wonder if that's the big secondary benefit. If it becomes, and granted, baseball is more difficult to bet on because you don't have point spreads in the same way or whatever. But if it becomes the kind of thing where sports, people could just consume sports more because gambling could become really easy. That if you have kiosk gambling, maybe eventually you can gamble on your phone and all that. Then this random Astros Twins game, you'll be like, oh my God, like what's going to happen with Keiko in this game? I got 500 bucks on this thing. Uh, well, maybe not 500 if you're a casual gambler, 10 bucks, whatever it is. You know, it feels like that might be the big thing because the NFL is the one league, other than soccer, of course, but I mean, in, among the big four North American leagues that really broke through in that way in gambling. And maybe that's what particularly, uh, the NBA is banking on. I know the NBA has been a big backer here, but you know, maybe hockey and baseball too, where the thought is, okay, we're going to start to achieve benefits where people who might not even be big baseball fans or basketball fans are going to jump on board because, Hey, this, 
Sacramento, Utah game super matters because I got money on it. I mean, do you buy that? Do you think that there could just interest in sports in general will grow because now people can put some skin in the game? I mean, it's definitely a benefit. I mean, if you think if you look at the surveys, you know, the people that, that gamble on sports watch more TV and, yeah. and consume more of the product. So it could be like that. I, I'm actually more excited for the stuff that'll come with entrepreneurs. Um, mm. you know, it's always been kind of, you know, a lot of people's dream to create the next, you know, you know, gambling product, you know, whether it's a hybrid with fantasy or office pools or whatever. And, you know, I look at the creativity that's come in fantasy sports and just sports, you know, media and sports data over the last 10 years and, you know, what could come next. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, sports betting, at least in terms of Las Vegas and stuff has been pretty static for like the last 20 years, right? You, you make a, you know, you bet the point spread, you bet the, over under you bet the money line that's yep. about it right yep. it's pretty hard to find like prop bets in vegas you can i mean but not for like every game and everything and no. um i just think there hasn't been a lot of innovation and i think that uh uh it, it, i think it's one of the reasons is because in the traditional vegas you know product mix sports betting is actually like really small i mean it's like um i looked so in 2017 sports betting was only 248 million dollars of their net winnings in nevada um, and that's like the smallest. I mean, penny slots is the biggest at 3.1 billion. Wow. Blackjack, 1.2 billion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the table games are what makes them the money. And so the, the sports book was just this thing in the side that would get people in the, in the door every once in a while and maybe for like the tournament, the NCAA tournament or something like that. But it wasn't a big money maker. And I think if you, if you have companies, you know, that are focusing on that alone in the U.S., I think you'll, you'll come up with a whole bunch of new ideas. And then you have, you know, all fantasy sports and other sports media and the internet and all the innovation that comes from uh, the U.S. and Silicon Valley. And I, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to see like what's next. Cause I, I could, you and I could probably, it's like the League of Leagues, you know, like oh, yes. that, that on, <laughs> you know, that, that's with uh, lots of options and money on the line. You and I could probably think of about, you know, 20 great uh, ideas like that and, and have fun on it. I think there'll be some entrepreneurs that are out there that are going to put that into, into place. Perfect. Call me a consultant. Give me 2% of it and I'll just sit on the sidelines. <laughs> you come up with the ideas. We'll do that. Um, I want to ask you somewhat related, but I want to ask you about something you've been doing for the last couple of years. I mean, you, along with, you know, Chris Liss and Jeff Erickson and, and Herb and, and all those guys, Schuler, all those guys started RotoWire. Geez, this is like 20 years ago and it's been a very successful business. And one of the things that's happened in recent years is that RotoWire, which has provided fantastic analysis before I knew any of you guys, I was reading the hell out of RotoWire, uh, for years and years, and then Daily Fantasy Sports came along, and then your business model was just perfect for that because then it became, oh, the backup second baseman for the Twins is going to start today. It's a left-hander. Dude can't do anything. He's fat and slow, but many it's lots of homers against lefties. You can put this guy in your lineup. That, it, that became the kind of indispensable information that you could really use if you were using DraftKings or FanDuel. And what you've done, in addition to your title with RotoWire and FTSA, is you became a lobbyist for two years. On behalf of DFS and on behalf of that legal fight. So we'll, we'll kind of sort of backtrack and slide to the side a little bit. First, take people through the legal battles that occurred with Daily Fantasy Sports because it's a, it's a really fun product. It's a very simple and, and cool idea. But, man, that almost went off the rails. There was a lot of objections. There was a lot of kind of, you know, fears of, uh, for lack of a better term, insider trading. And, and and you know, DFS seemed to have come out well on the other side. And I would assume that the recent decision with gambling in general can't hurt anyway the landscape which DFS now lives in. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's been a crazy 3 years. I mean uh 3 years ago 
you know, I'm, I'm the chairman of the FSTA and I'm the only person that does the lobbying because it really wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Most, most people view, viewed fantasy sports as game of skill, legal. Um, every once in a while, what would happen in the 2000s was somebody would get fired at their job for playing fantasy sports, uh, for money, right? So yeah. there are a couple cases where they, they're probably going to fire the guy anyway. So as a pretext, they fired him because, you know, he, there's an email that said he, uh, you know, entered a $20, $50 fantasy football league. Yeah. And, and so we were like, well, that's ridiculous, you know? And so some of these states, uh, a state, like an opportunity came up in 2011 in Maryland where somebody was, somebody wanted to win a prize there and they couldn't win it from some company because they, they didn't think the law was clear. So some legislator there said, oh, you know, let's pass a law. And so I, I got involved and I helped you know, facilitate, you know, get behind it and hire lobbyists and, and the, the law passed. And, you know, fast forward like five years later, da- daily fantasy sports has just taken off. Mm-hmm. FanDuel and DraftKings spend, you know, $500 million in about a year and a half on advertising, which just made them, made our industry famous. You know, suddenly we're talked about, and we were a topic in the Republican uh, presidential debate mm-hmm. you know, is daily fantasy sports gambling. Oh, that was crazy. Um, and everyone just wanted to jump in front of that spotlight for their issue. And uh, suddenly, you know, we were under attack left and right. Um, and, you know, I was the only guy with any experience or in trying to coordinate this whole effort to try to, you know, pass, pass laws to help us and testify in front of state legislatures and Congress Um and, uh, we succeeded, you know, over a two year period, we, uh, now there's been 18 states that have passed laws that have clarified that daily fantasy sports are not gambling and they're legal. There's two other states that passed laws that are contingent on a voter referendum in Louisiana mm-hmm. and, and some tribe, tribal gaming in Connecticut. The tribes have to approve. We'll see if they do. Um, so we've, you know, gone, come a long way. And, and during that time, I mean, it was, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the magnitude of all the advertising made it so that all these politicians came out and said, Oh my God, this is, uh, an end around around gambling. What is fantasy sports? It was just DraftKings and FanDuel. It was just invented like last year. This is totally crazy. And they didn't really, you know, know the issue or study anything. And it got them a bunch of attention. And Schneiderman, the New York attorney general, mm-hmm. uh, was the most aggressive. Uh, and it got him a lot of PR. The first day he came out and bashed FanDuel and DraftKings, he was on all the morning shows, CBS, NBC, um, and, uh, and, you know, that was, that was a battle. He was going to shut down FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, but luckily, uh, we went to the state legislature in New York and lobbied them hard and they passed a law, uh, that, you know, clarified it wasn't gambling. Um, and they taxed the industry and put in some consumer protections. And that law has been going for two years and, uh, it's, it's been working out pretty well as, as far as, you know, the industry is making money and, um, there haven't been any, you know, major consumer complaints. Um, so it's worked out pretty well. So then all that happened and I, you know, I got involved in that and really, um, I would say coincidentally, this court case from New Jersey was kind of going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then the Supreme court surprisingly picked it up and it passed. And I think a lot of people's natural assumption is like, Oh, this is just the progression, right? Oh, you know, and a lot of people will ask me, Oh, you must be really excited. You've been working for this for like two years. And it's like, well, no, actually I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, I mean, it just sort of happened, right? Even, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, none of them were lobbying for it. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in the fantasy sports industry are happy to see it, but you know, we're, we're mostly just, we just wanted to, you know, have fantasy sports be left alone and just, you know, be able to operate. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, it was, and I'm not really like, you know, 
you know, big pro gambling guy. I mean, sure, you know, I mean, and I'm sure a lot of the companies in our, in our industry are going to take advantage of it, but it was never my cause, you know? So yeah. some people were like, Oh, you know, or you should be really excited. You know, you, you did such great work or this is your thing. And it's like, well, not really. <laughs> and so like to your point, you know, last point was, well, doesn't this just get us out of the, out of the woods and clear everything up and now it's all legal. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of the existential threat is gone because, um, you know, a state could pass, could say, could, could say, oh, it, it is gambling and it's legal. Um, but what that does, and this happened in the state of New York, which gives, I mean, sorry, the state of Nevada gets a little complicated is, is they just lumped daily fantasy sports and fantasy sports into the same law as gambling. Huh. And then it's regulated the same way as gambling, which is really expensive, right? If yes. you get a, a, get a gambling license in, in, uh, in Nevada, it's like, you know, millions of dollars of just of, in, of entry fees and legal fees and, you know, a lot of time to go through the whole process. You know, and you're, if you're trying to do that for, you know, fancy football game, you know, like a season long fancy football game that might make a couple million dollars and right. have, create, you know, have small business, a lot of work. And even for the daily fantasy sports companies, uh, you know, for like a FanDuel and DraftKings or someone the equivalent that's just going to do daily fantasy sports, that doesn't work either. So that's the real risk going forward for the fantasy industry is that we just, you know, now everyone just says, ah, it's all gambling, put it all together and you get lumped in there. Well, that's going to be really tough on the, on the fantasy products, the, the paid fantasy sports contests, if they, if they have to go through all that, all of those costs and regulations, like a, like, like a brick and mortar casino that offers, yeah. you know, a window where you can do sports betting and has crafts and, and poker and everything else. Hmm. Um, I want to talk, I'm going to go back to DFS for a second. You talked about the consumer protections. Two of the biggest, whatever, cited concerns, criticisms, what have you. One was, if you worked for FanDuel, it was it was uh, established you couldn't bet on FanDuel, but you would have a few rogue agents who would be working for FanDuel and would bet on DraftKings platform and vice versa, and it seemed like they had the edge because they sort of figured out how to crack the system. The other one was bots that, you know, you're, okay, you're a guy and you want to bet on hockey tonight and that's fine, but somebody else will can bet a thousand hockey tickets at the same time, and so they might gain an edge over you in some way. Uh, where do we stand on those issues? Are they even issues in, in the DFS world? Should, you know, if I'm a guy and I just want to get in there, is this game rigged against me as a novice or do I really have a shot here? <laughs> well, first of all, it's not betting, right? It's entry fees, right? Yeah, right, so, right, exactly. <laughs> so I gotta, you know, I always gotta talk that one. But, I mean, that's part of the battle that we had really in general was that the colloquial expression is betting, right? Yes, but right. the legal definition is different. The legal definition is if there's more skill than luck, then you, then it's considered, it's not betting. And so it's not under all these rules. And so that was, that's really hard to explain because, you know, if I'm going to play you and pick up basketball right now, yeah. I'll, I'll bet you 10 bucks. I win. Of course, I wouldn't bet because you actually are pretty, you're a way better basketball player than me. You, you, oh, my you knees are shy. I don't know. Anymore, I'm, but anyway. I'm terrible. You, you, trust me, you're way better. I've seen <laughs> you play before. You're better than me. Um, but you know, that's, that's the expression, but you know, that's not the way it works. Legally, it's, it's different, right? So anyway, so that, that aside, um, I mean, yeah, there were a couple issues. You know, the, uh, two of the issues, um, one was the scripts issue, scripting issue, yeah. which was really a, a, what happened is, uh, in the early days of DFS, before the sites got a lot more technologically advanced, you weren't able to change your lineups all at once. So like, you know, you put in like 20 entries and suddenly, you know, some guys scratched the last second, you know, to go through and, you know, you know, change all your 20 lineups. It was like this, it was like this chore, right? To have to go through there and like flip it all. So these smart programmers wrote some script where they could like, you know, massively input them all at the same time. So that gave like a huge edge. Mm -hmm. um, eventually, 
there was a lot of pressure on the companies and they changed and they got put into the, all these laws. So all these laws mandate that, you know, most of these state laws mandate you can't have third party scripts, scripts. Um, so that's good. So laws took care of that. I think that it, the market probably would have gotten rid of that problem because like one of the companies, Yahoo, Fandle, DraftKings would have said, we don't allow that anymore. And then people would have maybe drifted to that. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, the laws took care of that. Um, the other one, uh, was, uh, the, the whole you know controversy, which is what kind of ignited everything in yeah. the fall of 2015, which got the New York uh, Attorney General involved, which were the players playing on each other's sites. Um, really, what happened there was there was one employee for DraftKings who wrote would write a column every week that would just show the ownership rates for the players, um, which is you know and he released it a little bit early, and you know later finding found out that he that he didn't do anything wrong. It was just, you know, on purpose, right, or whatever. It was just inadvertent, right? Yeah. Coincidentally, at the same time, he was playing on DraftKings, or sorry, on FanDuel, and he won, like, a big tournament that weekend. Yeah. And so people were like, wow, he has access to this data, and so that must give him a big edge. Now, if we went back to the investigation, it turns out he didn't really, the, the time the time he entered his lineup and the time that he got the, this data was released, he didn't really, he didn't have it, didn't give him an advantage. Um, but obviously then the perception was out there like, oh, this could happen. Yes. Uh, and so that became the big, you know, the big controversy. And so in all these state laws, that's mandated as well. The companies, you can't play for each other. And now it looks really crazy, but back then it really wasn't. I mean, if you, if you, uh, work at Uber, you know, you can go do Lyft, right? Yes, you know, you can use the competition. If you work at a casino, you can go across the street and play, you know, if you're a poker dealer, you can go sure. to the other side and play poker. So really like, and, and the people who were uh, getting hired from these companies, you know, they got really good by playing the game. That's how they improved the products and, and became, a, you know, they were a consumer of their own products. And so that's how they got really good. But I think once it kind of dawned on everyone, like, oh, you know, they, these people are going to have data that could potentially give them an advantage on the other site. And also the products weren't that different. I mean, FanDuel and DraftKings, the, the products were very you know, nuances. The differences weren't that great. Um, so that got taken care of. Um, and then I, you cited one other one, that, which I which I forget. You said... Uh, the scripting. The, no, those uh, are the two. Those, those are the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing is, uh, the other thing, the general thing is, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to lose. Right. So there's that whole perception of people would say, well, there's a study that came out that was a big PR uh, negative for us, which said that only 3% of the people win 90% of the money, 97% yeah. of the money. Yeah. Right. Um, and so then people would say, well, but it's, yeah, that, that's gambling, but it, well, that doesn't really, that's not how it works because like if it's gambling, then it's just going to be 50 50, right? And if you right. play poker or craps or whatever, skill. I mean, it's, you know, but if there's a skill event, mm-hmm. then only a small number of people are going to win. If you went and played professional golf, I mean, look at the professional golf tournament this week at the professional golf tournament, uh, where is it? The Memorial. Yeah. You know, the two top three guys between the top three prizes, they're going to win like 70% of the money, right? I mean, yeah, like yeah. that's just the way it works. The bet and the best guys win more. If you're in your season-long fantasy football league and you have 12 people in the league, the top two guys, the guy who wins the Super Bowl and the guy who wins the, the division, maybe those points, they're going to win like 70% of the money. That's that's the way it works. And so daily fantasy is not is really not that different. But I think that uh, you know there's other ways you can play too. So if you're you know if you're just scared of that, you don't want to play with the sharks, so to speak, and you don't want to play against the best in the world because you can. If there's the million dollar million dollar maker this week on DraftKings for football or golf or whatever, and you want to go against the best, you want to go against the Tiger Woods, the Mike Trouts, the DFS, you can do it. And it doesn't cost you that much. It costs you $25, $100. Um, but if you want to do that and you just want to play to have fun and you don't want to play against so much experts, 
play for a dollar, you know, play head to head, play some smaller tournament. And one of the things that the laws did and the market did was to have the DS, DFS companies create a whole bunch of like beginner games and low stakes games and make sure that the higher, the higher stake players, uh, the guys who play more, you know, uh, are not in those low games. And so I think that's given people more choices. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, one of the, th- the battles we constantly have are people are like, you know, this is gambling. And it's like, well, it's not gambling if the people who try harder, you know, and no more win more consistently. That's, that's called skill. Yes. <laughs> you, know? you know, and so that, that was one of the battles that we, and if you look at all the studies and things like that, I think that's one of the things that helped us pass the laws were that, that kind of came out. And then also we just had a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, fans, people played the games who contacted their legislators and that made a big difference. Hmm. Uh, I can remember when the 49ers stadium opened and they were talking about how tech advanced it was going to be and every seat would be wired, da, 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 da. And, this isn't what they meant, but I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, so you can place bets on the games. You could do all this stuff. And that, that would have been really cool. And, you know, granted, everybody has a phone and you can do what you want. And I don't know that the stadium needs to be wired, but I think there's something to that. I think there's something to the idea of you're in the stadium, you're watching the 49ers play the Giants, and you can make a prop bet on whether or not Odell Beckham's going to score in the second quarter. There, there's something to that. Do you see a future in which sports leagues Truly integrate. Not only do they get behind betting, not only do they try to reap revenue, but you can bet DFS at your seat. You know, or, or, or is that even, is it pointless because we all have a phone? I'm just wondering, like, can we get to a point where it's really just like one is indistinguishable from the other? Sports and sports betting are completely wedded in every way. Oh, I think that's going to happen. Yeah. That's what happens in Europe. In Europe, most of the betting is done on in-game activities. So yeah. you're betting the score at halftime, you know, you know, things like that. The technology is going to get better, the innovation. Um, I think that, you know, I think you're going to have the ability to go to the stadium, be online on your phone and, and, you know, bet, you know, bet straight up on what's going to happen, you know, on, uh, you know, in, in the game. Um, I think that that's, that's coming. I mean, I think one of the things that the overall Supreme Court law uh, decision did was not only did it change the law, so now that all the states can make their, uh, you know, create their own laws and choose their own path for sports betting, but it's just going to reduce the stigma, right? Yeah. I mean, before there's just this big stigma about gambling, right? I mean, baseball is like, you know, if you ever bet on your own team, you know, you're out for the whole, you're out your whole your life, and that's good, that's a good rule. Sure. But then it, it was kind of like the same, it was sort of that same high level beyond that. I mean, gambling is terrible; it's a terrible for sports, and um, I think that's going to be lifted. I, I just think the leagues are going to, yeah, you've already seen them make a big, a big switch. Um, and I think that'll just keep going and they'll see it as a revenue opportunity and that just won't be there. I mean, there'll be some states, you know, there definitely will be some states that probably never pass it. Um, I think most estimates are that it'll get as high as like 35, 40, but you know, once there's money to be made and, um, and, 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 and most consumers like it and, you know, the laws aren't there, you know, then I think they'll, they'll take it to exactly that level where, where you're in the stadium and, and you're, and you're betting on, you know, you're betting on, on in-game action. I think that's inevitable. I don't necessarily think this is going to happen, but I'll play devil's advocate and ask the question. You know, there was that stigma and there was the fear, founded or unfounded, that, okay, if we open the floodgates, then it's going to lead to corruption of the games, that it's going to be, you know, Rothstein in 1919 again, and that players and refs and whatever, we've seen all kinds of, you know, malfeasance, accusations of malfeasance over the years. Is there any threat you know, now that the doors are opening more and more, the stigma's going away, the laws are changing, should we be more vigilant about the possibility of it leaking into the actual 
participants and, and officials of these games getting more involved? Or does the landscape pretty much remain the same and they could have been corrupt before and they could be corrupt now and it makes no difference? I mean, that's one of the big arguments for legalizing and regulating it. Okay. Because then it's all above board, right? So, yeah. um, especially if it's online and it's traceable, you know, then you've got an audit trail so you can kind of know. And the, and if you make the, the sports books, you know, know who their customers are and you know if it's, you know, an official or a player or, you know, the wife of an official or a player or right. some, something like that. I think, I think that, I think the leagues like that, you know. Um, and I think we haven't really seen that in Europe. Um, there definitely are some sports, you know, when, when you get down there, like tennis has, has some problems. So there, there's definitely some, some sports that are, ha- that have more problems. And so you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll have to, you'll have to get that out. But, um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think the only ar- argument to me that maybe carries a little water there is just that there might be like way more betting activity. Um, and so just, you know, if you have a, a lot bigger pie of, of activity, then, then, you know, maybe there's more risk, but I, I just, you know, right now the estimates are there's $150 billion bet illegally in the u.s who knows wow. if that's true yeah um you know so it's not like there's not a whole lot of money and you know you and i know that if if you and i wanted to whatever state we are in the whole country if we wanted to make a sports wager bet it wouldn't take us more than like half an hour right mm. i mean you could mm. you know you could go online go to some offshore account you could go to some bar ask for a bookie it's just not that hard right i mean right. it's just you know it's not you know i mean it's it's more work for for me to do it. I mean, I only, I mean, I've only gambled when I've been in Vegas. Right. right. Um, but it's just not that hard. So it, people who want to, you know, go that route, um, it's already widely available. So I think, you know, regulating it, getting a, a, a above board, being able to track it. Um, I think, I think that that will probably, you know, minimize that risk tremendously. I think it's funny because when you say all these things, if you just put, the, and I'm not joking, like I'm, I'm being a little flip, but not really. If you replace the word gambling with the word weed, this is exactly the same thing. Everybody did it. You could get weed, no problem. There was a stigma in some circles. Other people thought that you were batshit insane. If you, why would you object to somebody smoking a joint? Then suddenly a bunch of states got on board. And 50 years from now, we're going to look back on weed not being legal and maybe gambling not being legal and said, what the hell were we doing? Why was this a problem? Who cares? You're not hurting anybody. I, I don't know. I, I see this like, almost perfect parallel between the two. It just seems like it's a harmless thing. So just go ahead and might as well make some money off of it if everybody's doing it. Well, one thing was, I mean, when I did this lobbying, I was in all these states, I'd be like sitting through these hearings, all these meetings, and, and it would always be, the next hearing would be on, you know, marijuana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. Was, there are a lot of similar parallels, definitely. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of differences too. But yeah, I, I can see it. You know, I can see, you know, an activity that's already out there that's taking place illegally, that the government's not really doing a good job of, of, you know, preventing, um, you know, there's a case to be made for, you know, regulating it, getting above board, you know, taxing it, um, having a whole bunch of consumer protections. I mean, those are some, some strong arguments for that kind of stuff. But in sports, I think in particular, I think, and there's models, you can look at other, other countries. I mean, you know, it's been going on in the UK and Ireland for a long time. And, uh, um, you know, they haven't fallen into the ocean and their societies have not turned upside down. So, um, think things are working, you know, things work relatively the same as they did pretty much before they had sports spending. Hmm. All right. So I want to wrap up with this. We talked about innovation in, uh, in all of this, but I'm thinking about the fantasy sports world. And yes, like um, the League of Leagues is a cool idea and it's fun. I don't know how many hardcore people are going to play baseball, basketball, football at the same time and have to prep for the third wide receiver for the Titans at the same time as knowing who the setup man is going to be for the Orioles. I think it's just maniacs like me and 13 other people. Fine. But, uh, do what, 
what I don't obviously if you knew the the direct answer to this you'd be a zillionaire and we wouldn't even be talking but what kind of thing could be the next innovation down the pike in fantasy I mean obviously DFS was a big breakthrough you know what sorts of things get you excited thinking about uh about the fantasy industry because you've been in this for so long you've seen so many things change where could we go from here when we're having this conversation 5 years ago what's what's the big thing that we're talking about uh, I think two areas in general that I can think of is one, I'm, you know, I used to be a financial reporter like you, right? That's, yeah. That's where you got to start. So I used to cover the futures and options markets. Mm. And, uh, I'm, I'm like, well, I want all that stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I'm playing, if I'm playing DFS or I have my season long league and I have Kershaw like tonight and, uh, you know, he's going, I want to, I want to go in and hedge, you know, I want to, you know, take options on him. I want to, you know, figure out, okay, well, if he gets, you know, if he gets to the sixth inning and he has scoreless, you know, I want to be able to benefit and I want to, or, you know, halfway through his outing, I want to be able to, you know, offset some of my risk yeah. and, and, you know, and, and sell that, sell that future share or whatever it is. Um, so I think that, I think you'll see a lot of that. And that's kind of a marriage between gambling and DFS and that kind of stuff that I think can happen. And um, really? Yeah. I mean, you kind of get into securities law at some yeah. point that kind of goes over. That's why there's never been a great, Everyone has this idea that doesn't work. It's the fantasy sports stock market. Well, right? Wall like, Street oh. Sports. I remember Wall Street Sports. I used to screw around with that all the time. Oh, it's great. It was, it was super like, fun. Excited, but it was, you and I. Was, it was like built for you and I. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. But the problem was is that eventually it just got to be this ridiculous popularity contest, right? Yeah, so because the, because there there was no correlation between the athlete. And his actual no, statistics. No, Jeremy Lin in that world would have been worth twenty bazillion. Yeah, right. For because like, but they days, couldn't yeah. do that because as soon as you tied it to his actual like earnings on the field, then it's a security, and then it's, that's a no-no with the government, and Ooh. so it's really hard to make a game like that, right? So there's definitely some areas where they can't go, but you know, you'll get, you'll get, you'll probably able to get somewhat close. And the other one is just like the office pool, you know, times ten, right? I mean, the, yeah. the NCAA tournament pool, it's like the, it's the best, right? You know, you you're playing, you got twenty bucks, you got this huge pool of people, you win. Um, you know, what are they going to be able to do with that? You know, if you, if you were able to kind of have a similar structure for fantasy or whatever, or something like that, where, you know, you just were able to put together a big pool of people across the country so that, you know, we're, you and I are watching, uh, you know, some obscure baseball game. Um, but you know, we're in some pool with like thousands of other people or something like that, you know? And so, and so, uh, you know, you get that, you get that benefit of, putting you know a little bit of money down and, and winning a lot of money which doesn't really exist in sports betting i mean that's one of the competitive advantages for daily fantasy sports is that you can even people are always like well this is the end of daily fantasy sports but not really i mean it's a skill game people uh overall society you know especially younger people like you know games that have more skill in them the gambling games uh that have less skill like slots and stuff like that are declining um you know they're looking how to put like slot machines on the floors of vegas that have like some gaming aspect like video games so i think that aspect but also you know dfs is like you can put in 2500 bucks and you can win real you know five six figures money right? sure, and that's yeah. that's almost impossible to do in sports betting unless you take like a 14 team parlay that's just never going to happen right? right i mean so like or you take the one you're the one guy that bet the las vegas golden knights or whatever they're called seriously you don't even know right that's to win the, win the stanley cup right i mean yeah. so like unless you do that you're never going to win that money but daily, daily fans we do but if you get these big pools of people you know office pools uh you know NCAA tournament type stuff you might be able to get some humongous you know some, some humongous game like that and, and i think that would be really interesting as well uh, I love all this, Pete. I, I, this is super interesting. Um, it's motivated me to read up more about it and get back into it and all that. And, uh, 
I don't know. I'm thinking that you and I are going to have to invent some sort of Wall Street sports thing. And <laughs> just like quit our day jobs, do this. This is obviously we're mind melded on this idea here. And it's great. But uh, listen, I mean, going from doing what you're doing to becoming a, a lobbyist and uh, yeah, I'll say it. Yeah, you're the guy who, uh, you know, made it happen for DFS. It's a big deal. And <laughs> the new court case is pretty cool and new frontiers and all that good stuff. And uh, it's fun. It's so a good on you. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hey, don't I get to say my life lesson? We don't do the life lesson anymore, but if you want to uh, say a life lesson, you're more than welcome to. Hit me did with I miss, it. Did I miss that podcast? Did I miss that episode where you killed I it or something? I never really declared it. I don't know. I've changed the podcast a lot over the years. I, this podcast has been going on since, I don't know, like the Taft administration. Hit me with your life lesson, Pete Shecky. What do well, you Well, it's just, as a, as a loyal listener, it's just been gnawing at me for like two years. Like, what do I say? What would I say? <laughs> if, if I, I actually, got I had, on the podcast, what would I say? I actually got on the podcast. It used, so, to, be, well, it used but, to be that at the end of podcasts, I would have people give like what restaurant they like, but it couldn't be like, I was about to say it couldn't be like a, you know, a commonly known restaurant, except they had Daryl Moria and he goes, I don't know, Chick-fil-A. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good answer, actually. So whatever. But well, the, yeah, because you wouldn't think of GM's eating at Chick-fil-A, right? You think at that point he's making so much money, he's, I don't know, ordering hey, expensive takeout or something. Or, or delivery. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A's politics aside, and that's a whole other story. It is delicious. And, and I don't know that financial uh, uh, means matters all that much. So fair enough. But yeah, what do you got? Okay. So, uh, well, anyway, for this, for this thing, I, I guess my life lesson is that like, Politics wise, it actually, you know, doing all this politics on one hand, it was all about, you know, the money and just there's so much wrong with politics in the US and being in the, you know, in all these state governments and seeing it in action, you could just kind of see how, how bad, you know, how the, the power of the money and the influence and how, yeah. in my opinion, it's just, it's, you know, the powerful and people have more money, just you know, that's all that matters, right? And everything is all screwed up. Um, but at the same time, the flip side, was that the power of the individual voter is actually really strong. And it's mm. like in that, that would be a life lesson. Like it actually matters. I mean, I, some of these times, like I'd be in states and I'd be lobbying a state representative and they would say, Oh, we got a, we got a lot of calls on this. We got a lot of emails on this. What's going on with this fantasy sports thing? Huh. And I'd be like, Oh, great. And then afterwards I'd, I'd talk to like the, you know, their staffer, one of the other lobbyists with, and I'd say, Oh, geez, how many call, how many, how many emails do they get? I'd be like, Oh, they got like five. <laughs> and you'd be like, what? Five emails. But like so few people, you know, reach out to their uh, representatives and yeah. especially on an issue like this, that's maybe not the one that just gets all the attention. You can make a huge difference. I mean, same with showing up for the hearings. Many states, you know, somebody would show up and make a hearing and, and you know, and, and it would make a big difference. Uh, so I just would say the life lesson is like just get involved. I mean, you, you would not believe how much of an impact you could actually have for showing up, you know, because I think that one of the reasons are political system is all screwed up is because people just don't show up and don't do stuff. And when you do, it, it makes a big difference. Your lack of political cynicism is both inspirational and adorable. <laughs> and now I'm going to go watch the West Wing and pretend that nothing that's happening in the world is actually happening. That's what I'm going to do right now. Uh, but no, this has been great. Uh, great to catch up with you, man. Keep fighting the good fight. And thank you for coming on the podcast. All right. Yeah, it's been great. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So, uh, Hopefully I don't screw it up and end it all. With, uh, <laughs> all, my, all my thoughts. Thanks, Pete.